dipping on some scissors. Dip, dipping on some dip, dipping on some scissors. Way off. Dipping on some dip, dipping on some scissors. Way off. Dipping on some dip, dipping on some scissors. Way off. Dipping on some dip. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday afternoon in October. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a while. Uh, we haven't done a podcast in God knows how long because I had a second kid. Or, uh, well, my wife had the kid. I didn't have the kid, but uh, you know what I'm saying. So I was on paternity leave for a little bit. Uh, you know, came back from paternity leave. Then we had a uh, uh, the open of Sixers Media Day, Sands Ben Simmons, and then the Eagles got their doors blown off by the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, I wanted to make sure we got back to always soccer, but we had to do the Eagles and the Sixers and uh, fulfill my four for four duties uh, before I could get back to doing this. Uh, joining the program today, my crossing broad colleague, everybody welcome back, Rush Joy. Thanks uh, for having me, Kevin. I, uh, I'm glad that you righted a wrong this morning. Um, a social media faux pas <laughs> that ripped at the core of Crossing Broad and XL Media. Uh, we avoided calamity like YouTube TV and NBC Universal. I'm glad that uh, we got that ironed out prior to this podcast. How did this happen? How did I unfollow you on Twitter? It must have, it must have been an oversight. <laughs> well, Kevin, you, uh, you went to my page. You clicked unfollow. And when Twitter said, are you sure, Kevin, do you know, do you know what you're about to do? You said, yes, that's how it happened. I must have been unfollowing the wrong STG host. Maybe I was trying to unfollow Anthony and I, (laughs) and who could blame you? Aunt Sanfoni with this fake news. I don't blame you at all. Aunt Sanfoni. Right. Um, Well, regardless, I am following you again now. So I'd like to apologize for that oversight. I don't know how it happened. And um, we may have other people joining the program. I extended an invite to uh, the some of the guys who chipped in with the Starfinder donations um, that I was asking people to help out with a couple weeks ago. I really appreciate everybody who helped out with that. I mean, if you're living under a rock and you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, when we had the hurricane, oh, bless you, sorry, that's my daughter um, sneezing in the background. We had the hurricane, you know, a month or two ago or whatever it was, Starfinder down in Maniunk got absolutely pounded. Um, I, I think most of you know it kind of sits there above the river, but it, the river came up so high that water and mud from the from the Schuylkill got into the facility, and there was like mud caked into the new turf that they just replaced, and the locker rooms were flooded and and all that stuff. And you know, so we we did the jersey sales last year, and uh, we we made a small you know we made a little bit of money for our first charity thing. We donated the money to Starfinder, and that was that. It was great that everybody helped out with that. So I asked people if they wanted to help out with this again, and we had a good a good um, participation rate. Hopefully, we we helped out a little bit and gave them a little bit of money to help with the repairs and getting the field back up and getting the the youth programs going again. So I appreciate everybody who helped out with that. And I told those guys, I'm like, hey, whenever we record, like, come on the show, come join us on the show sometime. So the Zoom link's out there, and we may be welcoming some people in as we uh, do the next couple shows. And they were people who were generous enough to kind of help out and donate. So I, I appreciate everybody chipping in with that. You know, originally we were going to do a, a charity. Uh, event and give away some stuff uh, down at the stadium in an event over the summer, but I was never able to get that materialized. And there was issues with the venue and uh, um, you know, my wife was pregnant too. So we just decided to bag it, but I was like, Hey, you know, why don't we try to get some people to donate to Starfinder? So I, I appreciate everybody doing that. Um, listen, it's been a long time, Russ, since we recorded anything. And there's like five games to go over. You know, I figured we could sit here and just go over note after note after note, but I was like, why don't we, just, why don't we just kind of like do mailbag? format for this podcast and we'll kind of touch on everything 
as we go. And I have some notes written down here from Club America, from Orlando, from Columbus, from all the stuff. Um, you know, we'll get we'll get into all that. But I mean, look, Macro, you know, I like to toss it to you first whenever you come on. And like, look, at the end of the day, if I told you the the Union were going to crash out of the Champions League, but they're going to come out and rip off three wins in a draw, they're going to be third place in the East with forty two points at this point in the season. You would tell me that the glass is half what? I'd say the glass is half full. I'd say that it's disappointing that they went out in the fashion they did. I think, you know, obviously the, the Jamiro situation didn't help things. Um, I, th- I think maybe that might be the most disappointing thing. And hopefully it'll end up being the most disappointing storyline to come out of the season is the uncertain nature of things as uh, the first leg was going on because it seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, there wasn't a lot of clarity being provided by the team or the organization. And, and, and then eventually there was, but um, you just think about the way that that kind of derailed their hopes. I mean, there, there are certain things that are within your control and then there are obviously certain things that, that don't. And I, I guess he was, he was technically what suspended for the first leg anyway, because of uh, uh, yeah, accumulation. I, I accumulation. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Club America. Yeah. But whenever, whenever you're in a situation where you're going to be without arguably your best player or one of your top two players, that that's going to make the challenge that much more daunting. But, you know, on a positive note for this team, and once again, a positive note for this team playing under Jim Curtin, they kind of shook that off. It, it could have been something that could have derailed their domestic season and they didn't let it. And, you know, third place this far into the season is certainly not a bad thing. Um, still very upsetting to see uh, Bruce Arena uh, in first place in any league and um, new England can shove it. So, I mean, outside of that, I think it's fine. I, I don't think that as a union fan, you can really complain all that much. Um, it's not exactly the season that you might've hoped for following raising the first supporter shield in, in club history, but it's not a bad season. Third place isn't bad. No. And I, you know, I think for them to be in third right now, and I know there's a lot of separation. There's not a lot of separation between third and eighth right now. I mean, there's only three points separating, Philly, Orlando, D.C., New York, Montreal, Atlanta. I mean, you're one win or one loss from from separating a home playoff game versus being out of the playoffs entirely. That's that's normal for MLS, which always has this kind of like clump. At one point in the season, there's like the East always seems to have this clump of like five teams are all within a couple points of each other. So um, I think considering that the Union have not looked as good. Um, Autumn, are you okay over there? I might have to pick her up and feed her again. You know, considering the union have not looked as good as they looked last year, I mean, to, to, for me, for them to be in third place, I mean, I think that's crazy. I think you have to be happy with that. You know, and, and more than anything, coming out of the Champions League loss, it seems like a weight has kind of come off their shoulders a little bit. You know, I think in that second leg against Club America, they looked a lot more like themselves and they were pressing and the tempo was was high. And they, they just, you know, the game plan to me seemed perfect and spot on. And, you know, a couple bounces, you know, go their way or Jamiro hits that penalty or, you know, you get the red card for the dog show. Maybe, maybe that turns out differently. They do look like a team that's kind of playing with less on their shoulders, you know, now that they can focus just on the league and not, and not have the champions league to worry about anymore. You know what? Let me, before I, mean, I get into and, the question. And it's also like, I mean, it's, it's not like that's just unique to the U S either, right? Like there are plenty of seasons where even top teams in European leagues, if you think about it, that like really want to go all in on the champions league or, yeah. or I guess, depending on, you know, what club it is, you know, go all in or at least somewhat all in on going for like the Europa league title. And they might, you know, kind of lose sight of their domestic season or, or it's possible that, you know, the, the table is set in a way that, you know, there isn't going to be much variance, you know, regardless of, of how they ultimately perform in their league. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it definitely does allow you to kind of hone in on the task at hand. They're not going to catch new England, obviously, but um, at this point now you, you want to try to do what you can to, um, you know, get out of this, this clump that you mentioned. And 
you know, Nashville's not that far ahead. Nashville's what up five points right five now. Points, really, yeah. it's it's about creating spe- separation between you know yourself and say Orlando City, who's you know level on points, or you're only two points ahead of DC United. Like if you were to hit the skids, then you run into a legitimate issue because uh, it's what is it? Six teams, I think, that are all within three points of one another. Yeah, you got to separate yourself from that pack. Yep. From that clump. Yeah. So it's, it's here. I'll just, I'll just read it out. New England, 65 points right now. Nashville on 47, Philly, 42, Orlando, 42, DC, New York, and Montreal all on 40, which is crazy. Then Atlanta on 39, Red Bull behind them at 34. So you see that dip there afterwards. But, um, let's just go through, let me just give you, let's, let's put a bow on Club America because I feel like it's too important to just ignore, even though it's been almost a month now. Um, here's, here's my like macro level takeaway, Russ. I think when I look back, oh, hang, hang on one second. Oh, little baby, little baby. All right. Let me give the baby a bottle here. Um, we're just flying by the seat of our pants on always soccer in Philadelphia. Um, I think that when you look back at four, nothing aggregate, I think that's kind of, I don't, I, it's not, I don't think it tells the full story. I don't think they were a team that got played off the pitch to the term, to the tune of four, nothing on aggregate. I mean, it's two, nothing in Mexico. You know, you give up a deflected goal for the first one, and then you have a kind of a crappy penalty that you concede on the second one. Right. So you feel like you were a little unlucky with that. You know, in the second game, you know, Jameer misses the penalty. You have the dog. So that I mentioned earlier, that could go either way. And like, I thought that, I thought that honestly that the ref chickened out there. You know, and I think that you can give a red card for that. Um, And and, and the rules, so so that everybody knows what I'm talking about. You know, it used to be the original rule was that if you bring a guy down in the box and there's a penalty, like regardless, like there's a red card that's coming out. So they changed the rule a couple of years ago to say to because they wanted to avoid triple jeopardy. Right. They don't want to punish a team three times for a foul in the box with a penalty kick, you know, a red card sending off. And then the third punishment being that the guy can't play in the next game. Right. So they were trying to get away from those things a little bit. And that's why not every you know, infraction in the box is a, is a you know, denial of a goal scoring opportunity read. But in that case, I don't think the, the, the wording in the, in the law says that you have to admit that it has to be like a good faith effort to play the ball. And I don't think it was, you know, it's kind of grabbing at the, at the shoulder and kind of pulling the union player back. And so I, I like, I think the ref would have been hundred percent justified in, in doing that. And it would have been, you know, penalty kick if it goes in two to one and the union you're playing up a man so you know that that to me is like the disappointing thing of all of it it's like it's one thing to come out and play bad or not you know not play up to snuff or give up a give a disappointing performance but you know i think i i i do think the ref you know could have could have shown a red card there and i think that that to me is disappointing you know they had the glessness sitter too later that they missed um you know they came out and played a good game i, I think like to me russ it's like I keep looking back at that series and think of like all the what if moments that were in there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Let's go to some questions in here and we'll get into the other games with this. Uh, Matt uh, wants us to reflect on Chris Albright going to Cincinnati and then, uh, you know, maybe line to try to figure out the lineup uh, for this weekend with all the absences that are coming up. Um, so Blake is out, Alvis Powell's out, Jamiro's out and Baizo. And gosh, dog. So let's go with Albright first. Yeah, Chris Albright, GM of Cincinnati, like, hey, good for him, man. You know, like he's paid his dues here. Yeah, he was a technical director under two different GMs, under Ernie Stewart and under Ernst Tanner. And I think like, 
you know, I think people got to remember that Chris is a guy who came into that job straight out of playing in 2013 and they named him technical director, but they didn't have a GM at the time. You know, it was Jim, um, John Hackworth was still the coach at the time. And then Jim came in. So they fired John Hackworth. And then all of a sudden it's like Chris Albright's like, Hey, congrats. You're the technical director. Now Jim's a first time head coach at like age 30, whatever. So, you know, he, he walked into a weird situation that I don't think anybody really knew what to expect from it. So, I mean, good for him. You know, he's been good with the cap and, and, and things like that. Now it's going to be on him to kind of like find players and, you know, make good signings and things like that. So, I mean, good for him. I'm happy for him. I mean, that's the thing that I think is interesting to kind of note about like the, the change in like, let's say organizational dynamic from where Albright was when he was first brought into this role versus like where he stands with Ernst Tanner and, you know, whether, whether they got along or not is somewhat irrelevant. I mean, there, there's obviously the desire to at least be on professional speaking terms with your counterpart. But I think at this point, like it's pretty safe to say that Tanner's done a, an exceptional job of evaluating talent acquiring players which is something that you know Albright had a a hand in at least earlier in the franchise's history and like you know the working within the financial constraints of a league is something that any executive is going to have to do anyway I think it's something that Tanner is more than capable of doing and honestly like with that kind of thing like you can get any executive to do something like that like the talent evaluation part of this that Tanner is responsible for is exponentially more important than you know, what role Albright had kind of shifted into or, or where things had, had kind of gone. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Albright the one who um, they initially tried to throw the Emboli thing onto when it backfired? <laughs> everybody was trying to pin that on everybody else, you know? Like, nobody wanted to say that there was any responsibility for that, Nick Sikavich especially. But I think to your point, man, it's like, you know, Chris's best contribution well i don't want to say it that way like the the thing that he was most valuable with was when you brought ernie in from overseas and when you brought ernst in from overseas is you got to kind of have like a guy who bridges the gap who can explain all these crazy fucking mls rules you know Mm -hmm. so like ernie comes over and he's like what's allocation money how do i work within a salary cap same thing with ernst and so you know that that was kind of where chris found his bread and butter was you know navigating the cap and like all these different like uh tam and and gam and uh international slots and all of, all of the quirky things that you know a foreign manager doesn't have to deal with that in ajax or or a salzburg or, or something like that you know so um so that you know it's like i said you know now he's got a he's got a chris has that under his belt and now he's got to be responsible for the other half of it you know it's a good chance to prove himself that he can identify talent and whatnot you know because over the years you know like i remember he he was the guy who went out and scouted jay simpson you know, mm-hmm. and like that didn't work out, you know, and um, I think Chris was also the guy, uh, maybe uh, listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he went also went down to see Sergio Santos, too. Um, so, yep. you know, he did his fair share of, you know, scouting and talent evaluation, too, and now it's all going to be on him. So I think it's good for him, man. I always liked Chris, you know, as a player. I thought he was a good dude. And uh, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I don't know who was ready for what. I don't. I don't know like how the inner workings were necessarily, and like if everybody was in lockstep. But they've been a good team for a couple of years. And like, hey, I'm curious to see how he does over there. So, and this uh, kind of comes back to like it also kind of comes back to that notion of like just hypothetically, if there were a bit of a power struggle, like which guy are you going to go with? You know what I mean? Like to me, if if you were going to pick Albright or you were going to pick Tanner, it's a it's a pretty easy decision at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good for Chris stepping out on his own too. I, I don't, you know, cause that's cause most people would probably say, Hey, being a technical director for an MLS team is a pretty damn good job. You know, mm-hmm. I think most players who retire in their thirties or whatever would say who walk straight into that without any experience, you know, it's a pretty damn good step for them. So, 
go figure. Well, and it, it kind of speaks to the guy's desire to strive for, for bigger, better things too. Like when you take a look at like, let's say um, the situation that he's going to be going into, the expectations are low, right? Like yeah. Cincinnati is a, is a dumpster fire. It's a disaster right now in the East, like <laughs> yeah. negative 24 goal differential. They've won four games in 27, you know, attempts. They've lost 15 of 27. Like it's, it's a situation where as long as ownership is at least somewhat patient with you to, to implement your vision, then if he even turns this, you know, Cincinnati squad into like, say a, a mid table team next year, or within the next two years, it looks like he's done an exceptional job. Um, and then maybe that kind of puts him in position to either capture a, a better opening in this league within like the next five years, or maybe it helps him build, you know, a, a solid CV to then apply for positions abroad. I mean, he's obviously not going to be taking over a Bundesliga team, but like maybe there's a second or third tier club in Germany or like maybe in the Austrian league, like where a lot of MLS guys are starting to head like, maybe it makes sense. Maybe there's a team that wants to give him a look that wouldn't have given him a look given his position with Philadelphia. So uh, yeah, I mean, kudos to him for at least taking a risk. Risks can, you know, obviously go poorly. They could pay off hopefully for his sake, you know, it'll pay off and it'll, it'll be good things for him. It's not like he's an old man either. So he's got plenty of years to grow into this role and, and hopefully Cincinnati gives him the time that he needs to implement a vision. Think about how far we've come though, that one other franchise is going to Philadelphia to hire one of their people away, you know? I mean, if you told me that like six or seven years ago, uh, you know, we would have laughed our asses off in this podcast, the thought of like anything that the union were doing being coveted by anybody else, you know? So that's yep. that's an indicator. You know, people talking about Jim Curtin for the national team, right? I mean, like think about how far yep. we've come. It's pretty insane. Um, all right, let's do the lineup draft with the absences then. Okay, so I, I got, I'm sure Matt's right here, but I just got triple check. Blake, Powell and Baizo, Jamiro Gaj dog. I mean, we did this not long ago, but you also had the complication of some, um, you know, like there was a suspension, I think, for Jack Elliott in there too. So, look, okay, L- Elliott, let's go back to front. I, I think, you know, Bendick or Freeze, who are you starting? Bendick or Freeze? I'll go with Bendick. Bendick. Um, Jack Elliott. Jacob, yeah. Bless, Jacob Blessness. I give Harriel another start at right back. Why not? You know, he held his own when he played last game. Yeah, I mean, it's like you got to put the kids in at some point, too. So, yep. Um, Left back. Look, they're going to need, I think, uh, Brujo's also out, too. So, I think Jim was talking about in his press conference today, Wednesday. You know, do you play Leon Flock at left back and leave him in there at the six? I think if I'm, if I'm right and I have the lineup correct, I think, I think I go Flock at the six and then have Matt Real play left back. And then you can go, you know, Bedoyer on the right. Bedoyer. <laughs> um, you know, like Jack McGlynn can go in there. You know, you can play Quinn Sullivan. You know, and then up top, you got Sergio and Cashper. So I, I think that's reasonable. This is better than the, than the last time they had to do this with all the crazy absences, you know. So I, I think they'll be, they'll be uh, okay with that. But, uh, yeah, because last time you had to go to Stuart Finley. And uh, we weren't exactly sure what the hell was going on beyond that, too. Anthony Fontana is still there. So, uh, does that sound about right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that I think Jim – one thing I like that Jim's doing now is that he's pairing Cashper and Sergio together again. You know, because we did a little bit of that, like, 
Shabelko and Burke thing, where it was like two guys who were who were pretty good, but like their skill sets redundant. I think they've gotten a lot out of Sergio in the last couple of weeks. He's running and you know diving into those channels and just being able to stretch the field and extend plays and things like that. And so I, I think for the rest of the season here, we're kind of set on Shabelko and, and Sergio being the guys. Um, Alex says, any thoughts on why Glessness or Elliott never get national team call ups? Um, well, Elliot, I mean, eligible for Scotland or of uh, England, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I got good, good players, you know, like who's Scotland's center back? I think it's Grant Hanley from Norwich. Like, he's not going to replace him, you know, like Scotland's got some good center backs, like playing in the playing in the championship and even the, the prem. I think there's a couple of them, and uh. You know, even like Celtic and Rangers, you could go there. So I don't think a guy from Philadelphia Union who went to West Virginia is going to be playing for the national team. Although it would be cool to see. And, don't you uh, dare talk poorly on those Mountaineers, all right? They, uh, yeah. They're worthy of everyone's love and consideration. And uh, let me pull up Norway's uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, squad here. Let me see. They got um, – oh, yeah, they got good dudes too. They got that guy who just went to Brentford from uh, Celtic, Christopher uh, – what the hell is his name? Aher, Aher, Christopher Aher, or something like that. You know, they've got uh, that guy who plays in Serie A, too. I can't remember what his name is. Oh, Stronberg. Yeah, Stefan Stronberg. I mean, like, look, these are like good dudes, you know? Like, Norway is a pretty good team. You know, they're not France, but, uh, you know, Jacob Glesnes is like in a, going to be in line to, to make a team like that. So they're pretty good, you know? Uh, By the way, can we can we take 10 seconds here? I don't know if this was on your rundown, but since you mentioned Serie A, you saw the report about AC Milan being interested in Brendan Aronson. Can we just talk about for a second the fact that like really we watch we watch this kid grow up in this organization. We watch this kid blossom into a budding star, a kid who cracked into the national team, a kid who looks like he's going to have a legitimate role to play in the national teams, uh, you know, next round of, of qualifying. And it has acquitted himself well in, in Austria, but now AC Milan of all teams, uh, I think it was reported yesterday, are interested in Brendan freaking Aronson in really? Medford Messi. Yeah, that, man. Who do do you know who reported that or where that came from? Uh, I can look it up. Hold on a second. AC Milan, man. The last American who went to AC Milan was Gooch, right? I believe so. Two Philadelphia Union players at AC Milan. <laughs> Uh, who's 86 Longo? Daniele Longo from Calcio Mercato. I mean, he's in, he's a Milan based journalist from uh, Sporte Italia Topa Calcio 24. Yeah, that's right. I'm right. I'm good. Don't worry. Do you speak Italian it. in addition to your German and Spanish? My Italian is actually pretty decent. I just have to kind of like hone in on it a little bit if I were in a situation where I needed to speak it, but. It's pretty good. Okay, pretty right. decent. Um, that's crazy if Brendan goes. I, I, I'd say with Brendan, like, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. I don't want him to just get like he's still he's still young, man. I don't I don't want it to be like he goes to this huge team and then he's like out of favor, and it's like now what? You know, like it's slow and steady, man. He's had a good progression so far. Like I I don't, you know, I just wouldn't want him to kind of like get too far. I, I don't want to uh put the Brendan Aronson cart ahead of the Brendan Aronson horse, if you know what I mean. I kind of thought that like the next logical step for him was going to be to go to Red Bull Salzburg. I still think that like staying within the Red Bull pipeline makes a lot Le- of sense. You mean Leipzig, Leipzig, or yeah, Leipzig, yeah, yeah. Um, to just keep him in the Red Bull pipeline and let him advance that way. Like, yeah, 
uh, unless for some reason they're strapped for money. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't want to keep the kid. Well, and you have and, to keep an eye too on how Jesse Marsh is doing. Like, I, you know, they didn't have a good start to their um, to their season, and then they blasted somebody like six to one, and then I think they lost mm-hmm. their next game. But they're up to eighth right now in the Bundesliga, and they're three one and three. Um, they're scoring a lot of goals, but they're like they gave up a bunch of goals too. So oh, they only gave up seven goals. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're turning a the corner there, but that's something to keep an eye on too. You know, it's like. Um, you know, how he does with that team. Um, there was another, I don't know. Let me see here. Uh, all three points. Chris says, uh, why do fans obsess over Martinez and his bookings, but not other players who get booked more? Um, yeah, it's a good, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, yeah. And you know, it's also like the position that he plays to, you know, obviously like your D mid takes a yellow card. It's like, well, shit, you know, we can't, now he's got to be careful you know, being like an important part of that diamond being in the pivot there, you know? So there's more scrutiny, I think on him committing fouls versus other people committing fouls and bookings. But yeah, the union have seemed to pick up a lot of yellows, like dumb yellows this year, like disciplinary stuff that they normally don't pick up. Um, You know, I think too, like, I think he's got a reputation now for being that kind of player, not dirty, but like goes in hard and plays hard. And so I think that works, it works against him too. You know, it's like, uh, you know, here's the uh, the hard nosed like number six who's throwing in slide tackles and stuff like that. Hang on one second. Here we are. Here we are. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. Sorry, I have to There's keep picking up my newborn. <laughs> There's a baby. Yes. Um, here's another. Here's another question. I thought that was interesting relating to that. Um, it's from Andrew. He says, "Are the union better off at the six with Flock as opposed to Brujo? Um, it seems like Martinez has more raw talent, but he only shows it about one third of the time." Um, and the other two thirds is just chaos. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good. That's a good point, man. Because and this is this is what I would say. It's like when you have a guy like Flock, who's like a utility knife. This is the same with like any sport. You know, this is, you, you could do this hockey comparison too, Russ. It's like when you have a guy who's like, but it's kind of like a steady like, you know, third liner or whatever, and he can kind of do a little bit of everything for you. He's like a two way kind of guy. You know, with Flock, his floor is pretty high. But his ceiling is not that high either. What I mean by that is like, he's a very steady player. Like, you know what you're getting when he's on the field. You know, he's going to work hard and win a bunch of tackles and keep the shape, but he's not going to do anything that really wows you. You know, and in that regard, you know, I think Brujo's floor, when he's at his worst, his worst is pretty bad. But when he's at his best, his best is like starting quality, like South American team. You know what I mean? So in that way, it's kind of like the Philadelphia Eagles offense. It's like we're going to throw a bunch of deep passes, and when they don't come off, they look like shit. But when you do finally hit one of those and the receiver doesn't step out of bounds beforehand, then it looks looks pretty lovely, you know? I think that's the thing with Brujo. It's like like, when he's on, he's on. But when he's off, like his mistakes do look kind of glaring. And so I think that's kind of where they are with that, you know? Well, it's kind of important to think of like why it is that that he plays like that, right? And like why it's such a big deal, why his – his floor is so low. It's, it's all because of the emotion with which he plays. I mean, you have two things working. He's an emotional guy and there's a perception of the way that he plays that officials go into games just already on, on watch for. And yeah. so if things start to go sideways on him early in a game, or if he gets called for a foul that he doesn't agree with, or if he gets booked early, like he, he will mentally not check out of a game, but he will let his emotions 
take control of him. And then obviously Curtin and crew are then going to say to him, you know, you, you have to be smarter the way that you're playing because we can't, uh, you know, we can't afford having you one, having to pull you or two, having you get thrown out of the game. And then what you end up seeing is like overthinking of the game. And that's where Martinez is obviously not at his best. Like he's, he's a better instinctual emotional player. The second that he has to like, you know, add in any other variables about the possibility of getting another card or whatever, like that is where he fundamentally drops in terms of like what his potential ceiling is for that game. Yeah. You know, it's like, and when you're always talking to the ref or you always have something to say to another player after a challenge, or you always like, you know, it, it can be misconstrued as like you being a butthead when sometimes it's just, you know, you're playing hard and you have a passion for the game and, and that's just how you come off, you know, but you do gain a reputation. Like there's truth to that. I, even when I was refing back in the day, I didn't do it for long, but I refed enough teams that I, I became familiar with their players and I was like, oh, this guy again, you know, yep. and it doesn't make you, it doesn't make you have any like, I'm going to try to explain this the right way. It doesn't make you have any kind of like preconceived like bias against a guy. Like if I, if I go into a game, even as a player too, if you're playing a guy who, you know, is a pain in the ass, like you don't say to yourself, right, I'm going to like drop a shoulder on him or anything and and do something cheap here, but it is in the bad. It's you're more aware of it. Like Mm -hmm. you certainly know that like a player has whims to do these things or that things. I think when it's more present in your mind, like subconsciously, you're just like ready with the yellow card, you know, because it's like, oh, you know, here's this guy again, and I know what he's all about. So I think he does get a little bit of that reputation for being um, maybe just a little bit of a hothead, and maybe that, that does a disservice to him. So, um, And by the way, like that kind of emotion and like knowing that a guy plays like that isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. I mean, obviously it can work against you from an officiating perspective, but like it does put that thought in the back of your head as an opposing player that I'm going to have to pay for this physically if I make, you know, the, the wrong kind of play. At the same time, it does give you an advantage, especially for a veteran player more than a younger player that, well, we can attack this guy. We know what gets under his skin and we might be able to drastically impact the way that he plays or his situation, his foul situation. And then all of a sudden you're fundamentally altering the, the way that the entire union team has to play. Uh, Vince Smith says, mm-hmm. is Gaj dog a bust? Would you consider bringing in a 30 year old striker who was atop the second division Bundesliga or a similar quality league in scoring? Um, well, hell yeah. Yeah. Cause the guy who's leading the second Bundesliga in scoring is that dude from Schalke. He's got like 11 mm-hmm. goals already this year. Of course I would bring him over here. Um, forget what his name is. Simon something, Simon something. Um, gosh, dog. I don't know, man. Like I just, it's one thing. I think people keep like wanting to believe that, you know, he's played a long season in Hungary and he's coming over here and he's trying to settle into a new place. And maybe he's just exhausted. And that's like one thing, if your legs aren't going to do it, your what well, your brain wants your legs to do. It's like, I get it. But like, he doesn't look like, active enough he's not like finding the ball he's not demanding the ball he doesn't seem to have any kind of like urgency when he's out there and to me that's a concern like if you're number 10 you got to get on the ball you know and if you can't get on the ball in tight spaces then you got to pull wide and try to get out into the channels or the flanks or find it and get yourself involved in the game and he doesn't do any of that you know one of these things that he does is when he receives the ball he likes to dribble out of pressure and that's great because he's keeping possession. But by the time he dribbles away and he turns and faces, he's like 15 yards off of where he started, which is where Jamira Montero could have just passed him the ball, you know? So I don't know, but it's not, I, I'm, I'm really disappointed in him. And like, you know, I think they could be a, a much different team if he was um, a different player. So I don't, I would say that 
Yeah, I don't know what's up with him. And oh, baby, it's okay. And I don't know. I'm just I'm not impressed. Are you impressed? No. And, you know, the thing that I I think we could probably both agree on is the worst possible thing that you could have is a number 10 who is letting the game come to him or is expecting the game to come with him other than like as opposed to him grabbing it by the throat. And when you start to have that kind of tentative play or that passive play, uh, it does not set your team up for success. And like at, at this point, like, you know, from, from the perspective of like, even if you're playing him as like a withdrawn striker, like he's just not getting it done. Like the, the chances that he has are something that like a higher quality player could theoretically capitalize on. He just hasn't done it. Yeah. Yeah. It's concerning. He's a mess. Like there, there's no way, there's no way to spin it. Like it's, it's not great. You know, you're 16 games in now with him. I don't know what more like you need to like, how much more acclimating does there have to be? You know, I know you uh, like these references, but like, this is a Denny green situation. A Denny green situation. Like we are, Denny. we, they are he is who we, we thought, thought he, he, yeah. he, he is who some might've thought he is. You want to crown them? Then you can crown their asses. Um, which park is from Paul Costa? Which parking lot at the Sub is the worst? There's intense competition this year between Lot B and the newcomer Lot J. Um, <clears throat> I've only been down to one game this year. <clears throat> lot B is always a nightmare. Lot J is new. It's like closer to the road, uh, like kind of under the big curve, the big overpass over there. Um, Phil Kaidel, a friend of the program, another Crossing Broad colleague, uh, complains about the parking all the time. It seems like it's worse this year than it has been in the past. I get more, I hear more complaints about the parking this year than I've ever like the last couple of years combined. I don't know if it's because there's more people down there or uh, the team's better and so it's more crowded or people aren't leaving early enough or what the hell the deal is. But like, you know, that Club America game, <clears throat> there's big chunks of empty sections up until like the 25th minute of the game. And, uh, just like, I don't, I don't know. Like you got, like, how can they got to be able to figure that out and make it because that's the most important thing. And they come out with the master plan that I share on Twitter of, uh, you know, what they want to do with the, with the waterfront down there or whatever. And like the, the priority still has got to be, be being able to get people in and out. Like you build all the stuff yeah. in that's great, but where the hell are people going to park? So, um, <clears throat> that's always been kind of strange to me. Honestly, man, like this is just kind of what happens as you're like coming back to things, sort of going back to normal. Like so many people had gotten used to there being no traffic on the roads, then there being no real competition for parking. And like now as things kind of open back up or do whatever you want to classify it as like, you know, for as good as that is, there's also the downside. The downside is things go back to normal and, and the back to normal includes parking issues and, and all of the stressors that come with, you know, more people being there and, and potentially, you know, maybe an understaffed um, event crew as well. I don't know. I haven't been down there. This um, year. We've both got to move on to other things shortly. So let's just, you want to do words that end in the letter A and, then, and, then, rip, and then rip through a couple more of these questions. All right, let's do words that end in the letter A. Um, you've got, did you say you had some picked out or you want me to just pull some here? I, I didn't. Well, I, I, I actually do have one. So the, the Philadelphia Flyers today announced that there are three, goal scoring final uh, goal score song finalists that they're allowing fans to vote on. Oh, really? Dupe is not one of them. So we can, we can officially close the chapter on all the vocal people on Twitter who wanted dupe. Um, so let's go with this, Kevin. Um, this is the band who do the song uh, Tarzan boy. That is 
not only a finalist, but is also going to be played tonight at the Leah Course Center as Jurassic Express make their way to the ring. Who is Tarzan the band? boy? Yes. The fuck is that Tarzan boy? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> okay, so the band. I'm going to give you a clue. If it came the out in the last name, ten years, I don't know what it is. It's oh, it's it's definitely longer than that. Right. Uh, the band name is uh, very similar, except for one letter. It's very similar to a very, 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 very large city in the state of Godforsaken Maryland. Uh, <laughs> what city comes to mind? Baltimore. Baltimore. <laughs> Baltimore. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, so Baltimore is the band. So, of course, Baltimore. Tarzan Boy by the band Baltimore. Okay. That was a pretty good one. Um, this is what you eat when you go like hiking, like you're on the Appalachian Trail. It's like a bar, it's a blank bar. It's got like a oats granola. And... Yeah, is it a granola bar? Granola right. boy. <laughs> um, this is a word that Stupid. describes somebody. This is a, a word that I love because whenever I think of it now, I think of the show Toast of London, which you can mm-hmm. find on Netflix. Mm. Great British show. Hilarious uh, Matthew Berry comedy. And there's one episode where John Hamm shows up and John Hamm ends up getting a lot of the, uh, the family's stuff. And so... The word, the word that we're going for here is when somebody has this uh, energy about them that encapsulates or, or draws in other people. Would you say that they have an auror about them? No. Oh, I wasn't thinking auror, but auror works. Oh, but yeah. no, I'm thinking That's- of another word. <laughs> Uh, but it's sim- it's like the same kind of thing, right? Yeah, somebody who somebody who has a ton of energy and is perhaps even uh, endearing to other people um, starts with a C. Starts uh, with a CH. Oh, they're. <laughs> hey, hey, would you say that they have charisma? Charisma. <laughs> go watch the show, please. If you're if you're listening out oh there, God. go watch Toast of London. It's hilarious. Great show. Um, all right, let's do one more here. Um, this is a really stupid one. Right, I'll use this one. <laughs> Kevin, we're playing a game called Words That End in the Letter A. I don't think you have to preface welcome, anything as being stupid. Welcome. How many people do you think clicked out of the podcast at this point? Um, this is like in your throat area. It's like this thing that I'm pointing to right here. Um, it starts with a T. Oh, got it. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the uvular, but we're talking about <laughs> the trachier. That's correct. Yes, it is the trachier, um, as Arlo White would pronounce it, or any other British soccer play-by-play announcer. Maybe Danny Higginbottom would pronounce it that way. We got to get Danny in here to do words that end in a letter A. Um, it's only fitting. I did promise, you know, the listeners, there's some people, some people love words that end in letter A. Some people hate words that end in letter A. It's a very controversial segment. It's very nationalist of them to to be so closed off. It may be, it may be insensitive on our part, but we're just having fun here. Um, I told them like, if we can get a British person to do words that end in letter A, that I'll retire it for forever. Um, And Aussies count too. And so do Bostonians. Uh, New Englanders, I guess I would say anybody who does the uh, intrusive R. So if we have Brett Brown, 
do words and that end in letter A, we would retire then. I don't know. Do yeah. Aussies really do the ER? Uh, I think some I'm of thinking, them do. I'm thinking yeah. about like watching the show Bluey. I don't know if you're, uh, your oh, yeah. daughter's got yeah. into Bluey. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know Hello, Kevin. Oh, that is bingo. Oh, that is bingo. Can we go to, the, can we go to Australia? No, I don't think they do the ER. I don't think they do. She's moved on from, uh, Pe- she's not really into Peppa anymore. Pepper, Pepper Pig anymore. Um, <laughs> which, which is a little never bit disappointing. I'm not going to lie, man. I little... Peppa on in this house. Absolutely. Oh, I, love, I love Peppa. Peppa and I, Caillou. They can both burn. No, I love Peppa. And like, I'm not going to lie. A little part of me kind of di- died a little bit when she said she wasn't interested in watching Peppa anymore. because She wanted to watch Princesses. Anna and Princesses Elsa again. So now we watch Frozen like 40, Honor and Elsa 40 fucking times. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Honor and Elsa. Uh, we've watched Frozen 40 bazillion times like in the last week. And it's all she wants to watch. And we have it on like DVR in the morning. So it starts at the same goddamn point every single time where they walk in and they're doing the duet in the ice castle and oh. my, two, my two-year-old two and a half year old oh. can, can sing the entire duet by herself um it's very cute she's very talented but you have kids so you you know you're very well aware that when they do something for the 500th time in a row it gets to be a little bit ulcer sounds like ulcer and now i'm thinking of the uh the medication commercials like ulcerative colitis or something like that <laughs> if you're getting ulcers let's go to ulcer I'm like no, please don't, please for the love of God. <laughs> She's gonna be on the next uh, commercial for ulcerative colitis, singing "Let It Go." Oh God, squeeze the ulcer and let all the pus come. I, I don't know. Uh, okay. oh, man, that, that oh, geez, doesn't sir. seem like a. Well, listen. Let's rip a through a couple. Let's rip through a couple more of these, and then we'll get it back to uh, sports betting here. Um, give us a percent. This is from Mr. Give us a percentage of how likely it is Montero Martinez transfer after this season. I think Montero's probably gone. Martinez, Montero's probably gone because he probably wants to move on. Martinez, they'll probably sell because um, he's too good or he's he's good enough to be, to move. Trey says, "Will Paxton Aronson be the starting ten next year?" I do not believe so. Uh, Joe says, "I wish podcast format allowed for a chopstick breakdown of the Elliott free kick goal." Um, quick note on that. Probably the one of the worst goals the Union have ever scored. I don't want to go Negadelphia by like discrediting Jack Elliott or because <laughs> like look, he hit it low. He hit it like in the corner. Okay, so that's where you want to put it, right? But there's no way a free kick should bounce twice before it goes in the goal. And if it goes in the wall, it's not set up correctly, Emmett, because he goes around the goalkeeper side of the wall. And Evan Bush is like in La La Land, Lawler Land, you know, trying to like figure out where the hell he should be. So, um, yeah, I'm happy that Jack Elliott scored a free kick. But man, I mean, Jim said it himself at halftime on the broadcast. He's like, look, it wasn't the greatest free kick of all time. So it wasn't just me being Negadelphia. Uh, did they actually sign Davo? Is he on the team? I don't know why he's not playing. I have no clue. Um, Giants dumpster fires is Sergio, the most valuable offensive piece we have with the amount of space he can create for others. I'd say he's, he's definitely helped. And that's been a huge skill that they've been missing, you know? So, yeah, I mean, they've been, they've been getting a lot of success with, with him, you know, the Orlando game where he earns the penalty and then Casper takes it from him, you know, go figure. Right. Um, yeah, that's about it, man. I think we touched on pretty much everything else. So, look, we're just getting our feet wet. We're diving back into the always soccer and Philadelphia realm. Um, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, be more active, you know, as I get my, uh, you know, three-week-old kind of settled and sleeping. And we're going to, uh, you know, hopefully talk about some more Philadelphia Union wins as we push for the playoffs. Playoffs? Playoffs? 
Um, and Ross, I appreciate oh. you joining me on the, on the uh, return of the podcast. The coach who uh, said that quote. <laughs> Jim, Jim Morer. Morer. In my opinion, that sucked. We, we didn't do diddly poo. The offense couldn't move the ball. The defense stunk. We gave them the friggin' game. Jim Mora, everybody. Checking in to the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program. And we uh, appreciate you checking into the Philadelphia, uh, it's Always Soccer in Philadelphia program as well. And we're going to transition now um, to a one off kind of sidebar interview that I hope you all will enjoy. Thank you. All right, we're going to switch gears now, bringing in a special guest to the program. It's Christy Shea, who had a uh, unique experience with some Philadelphia Union players uh, a couple years ago. She was involved in uh, helping them learn English uh, as a second language. Christy, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks. I'm glad to be back in the classroom teaching live instead of teaching through Zoom as I did for the last year and a half. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I imagine we are all um, ready to, I can say as a media member, we're all uh, ready to be done with Zoom uh, now and now and forever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, tell us about your experience because you were with uh, you were part of the Penn uh, program that was involved in helping some of the uh, international union guys learn uh, English as their second language. You worked with Portuguese speakers and Spanish speakers and French speakers, and um, just just give us the whole thing, the introduction of what of sure. what you guys were doing and how that all came about and how you started working with the union. So. Um- in 2015 is when our program started with the, with the union. Um, we're, I'm part of the English language programs at the University of Pennsylvania, and most of our students are people who want to come here to study in, in universities, like they're, they're um, trying to get PhDs or master's degrees or undergrad degrees, and so they're trying to get into universities. So our programs are generally really academic-focused, um, but our, our, he was not a director at the time. He's our now director, Jack Sullivan. Um, he got this idea in 2015 or 14, even when he, he was a, a fan of the union and noticed that, you know, the, the players could use some help with English. And he just had this idea, like, what if we could help them? And so he started communicating with the team um, and the team went for it. And in 2015, um, we started offering some classes. Um, and then I, I didn't start until 2016. Um, and so we would go down there um, a couple times a week, I think in our last season with them with the 2019 before the pandemic, um, we went down, I think three times a week. Um, and so we would go down to their training. And so we would meet the guys right after training. Um, and kind of right after lunchtime and work with them for an hour, um, hour, hour and a half sometimes. So it was a pretty, you know, long time for the guys after a full day of training and they're pretty tired, but they stuck around for an hour, hour and a half um, for two or three days a week to work on English with us. So, um, you know, it varied what we did depending on who was around and who needed help. So um, when I started working with the team in 2016, myself and Jack Sullivan and another instructor, John Cotton, the three of us um, worked out a schedule so that we, we went down twice a week, I believe, or Three, I can't remember now if it was three times a week in 2016. And we divided the guys into two groups. And this is how we generally worked throughout the seasons that we worked with them. If there were enough guys to divide into two groups for two basic levels. 
Um, so we had kind of a more advanced group and a, and a uh, less advanced English group. And now even within that, like in the less advanced group, we had absolute zero beginners, no, almost no English, mm-hmm. up to pe- guys who'd been around a year or, or had come in with a little bit of English. So it was kind of, you know, as a teacher myself, I, I feel like I want to adv- divide this one group into three different groups, but yeah. logistically, we just couldn't do that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we had basically two groups and we would work with them depending on what they needed um, on both just general English stuff. And then especially for the lower group, more um, soccer specific team specific kind of language and, and, um, and, and interactions and things like that. And then once in a while, we got both groups together to do some special things. Like we, we had a time where we were working on language and interactions related to, to injuries. And like when the trainer comes on the field and talks to you, what are the things he's going to say to you? And so we did some role plays and stuff with, both groups together, um, <laughs> which was interesting. Um, so there were a few times we, we worked together, but generally we, we kept them separate. And I usually worked with the, um, the lower level, um, lower English. And then John Cotton usually worked with the higher level. And then mm. Jack kind of went back and forth. Um, and then in 17, 18 and 2017, 18 and 19, um, actually in 19, we did have two groups again in 17 and 18. We had just one, one group, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the structure of it. Um, and we would work in generally, I would work in a little conference room or, or the kind of the bigger meeting room right by the guy, right. The, the, the offices where Jim and all the other kind of technical staff work, they let us have that room. They were really accommodating for us. And then the higher level usually met up in the film room, um, upstairs, once in a while there would be meetings or there'd be media stuff going on. And so we would move, you know, a group out into the kind of common lounge area. And that mm-hmm. was always interesting because you'd have guys coming through and then there would be banter or, <laughs> or sometimes even guys come sit down and yeah. join the lesson and there would be interesting things that would happen. Um, but it was neat. I, I liked that actually, because I felt like team was happening. Like there was the, yeah. the, the rest of the team was seeing what was going on and even, um, sometimes banter, but sometimes encouragement too. So I actually like that. Yeah. Well, and practical kind of- applications of it too, you know, if they're yeah. ever going to use what they're taught at some point, you know, that might not be the best, it might not be the best to have a guy hanging over your back while you're doing an interview right. with a journalist or something, but at some point you're going to have to step out on your own and kind of exercise what you learned. Um, how did, how did the guys respond to it? Did they like being in these classes or were there people who were like, what, what the hell am I doing here? Or did, did, yeah, they, it how, how, did they like it? That definitely mixed. Um, there were, there were some, there are a couple guys, and I think I can say these names, Fabinho and Elsino really um, seem to appreciate it and value it mm-hmm. in terms of the lower group. Um, and actually that first group in 2016, I also had Anderson. So it was these three Brazilian guys. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. Anderson. Anderson comes um, to show. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He was a defender. Um, those three guys stuck with us. Um, like the, that we were with them the whole season. And then Fabi and Elsino continued for the next, you know, until Fabi left and they'll see you until 2019. Yeah. And those guys were super dedicated. And we saw that, what that did to their language, yeah. not just for our class though. I, I think we were only a small part. And I think this is something to keep in mind. What we did with them was only two or three days a week for an hour, hour and a half at a time. And what we did was very minimal compared to what they were getting out, you know, just with the team they're learning. English just out in regular life. And then, you know, Anderson's kids were learning English in school, his, his daughter, and he would kind of learn with her and 
I could, over a year, I saw so much English improvement in him. And then there were some guys in the higher level. I didn't work with as much, but were super dedicated, like Tranquilo, Tranquilo um, Barnetta. Um, He was already really good at English, but he went so far as to come to our program at Penn and take a class with other students. Like he was super dedicated. He came to a book club. He, um, he came, yeah, we had a class that met, I think it was an evening class once a week and he joined our other students, you know, a lot of them, a lot younger than him, you know, trying to enter university, but he joined that class. He, he wanted to really improve and, and maybe, um, go to school himself in English someday. So, um, some of them were really dedicated. Um, and then there were a few others who I think it was, it was more like pulling teeth a little bit to come, um, yeah, yeah. you know, a little bit more reluctant. Um, yeah. And, and then one or two who their English was high enough. So they didn't, it wasn't absolutely necessary, but they just said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come. And their, their yeah. English could have still used the help, but they just, you know, they weren't required at, at that level. I think the team really, especially that first, the first couple of years really did push the lower level kind of guys to, to come and, and require it. It was actually required for those lower guys. Did the union, I don't, I don't really know how to phrase this question. I don't want to say, did the union have to be like convinced or anything, but was it, was it apparent to them right off the bat that, Hey, these are the, the practical benefits of doing this for our guys. Like this really can help us on the field just because they can talk to their teammates better. They can communicate, they can understand what's going on. Like, did they, were they of the understanding that, Hey, this is like a real, like, like practical benefit for us on the field and off the field at the same time. Yeah. Jim absolutely did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had, uh, when I started, Ernie was there and I think he did as well. Yeah. Um, I think there was a little bit less buy-in when a, a, a few newer people came later, but I think um, Jim always really saw the benefit of it himself. And then others like um, Paul, the uh, trainer, you yeah. know, the guy who runs out on the field when Paul, Ru- Paul rushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He even yeah. came and, and worked with us when we, when we had injury practice, you know, talking about mm. language with injuries, you know, I think some people like that, um, you know, the assistant coaches, um, I, we felt supported. We felt like it was valued. Um, we felt like they saw the benefit of it. And, and Jim always spoke to us, you know, he would even come say sometimes like, Hey, I'm hearing this person start to use things, you know? Um, and then even Ali Badoya himself at, at one point, I think said something like, you know, this is benefiting them. I, th- I think, yeah, yeah. I, I honestly am not convinced that it was all because of our language program. I think sometimes it was just over the course of a season, you do hear people improve just because they are yeah. living and working here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's natural because they're, immer- they're, they're immersed yeah. in, in the everyday of it. And even if they don't have a great base for the language, if they go into, uh, uh, you know, Starbucks or something like every other day or whatever, just the, the, the interaction. Inter- interaction with the cashier or whatever they're called, the exactly. baristas, I'm sorry, <laughs> or, or whatever, you know, you start to just like feel more comfortable in yeah. that, in that mindset. Um, yeah. Funny story about Starbucks. Um, I, I'll say this because he's not with the team anymore. Fabi mm-hmm. told us one time that when he goes to Starbucks, the barista just cannot understand him. And so we tried to work on pronunciation of a few things, but it, it made the point to me. So he would say, and I'd say, well, let me hear what you're saying. And he would say, I'm, I'm trying to order cough, cough. And he mm. wasn't getting that last syllable. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. like, in a coffee shop, if you ask for a large, like a, a tall cough, mm-hmm. 
can they not, can the barista from context not understand you? <laughs> yeah, like, like, that's not, so I said to Bobby, yeah. that's a case where it's not your fault. You know, that yeah. is in that context. Right. And I think that's something as an English instructor, I feel like people should be aware that it's not, it shouldn't always be on the, the, the speaker. Right. It shouldn't always be on them. It should be on those of us who are listening to make effort as well. Yeah. And I would go as far to say this extends to the media, uh, me exactly. and my colleagues, that um, I always joked that I would love if somebody in the Northeast would do like a two-month course on Spanish for sports writers, get a bunch of the baseball guys, get a bunch of the soccer guys in here, um, tailor a course that's you know got a lot of... Uh, you know, field and game specific stuff, you know, equipo, medio campisto, you know, all these exactly. like Spanish phrases that are, that are practical. And that would help us at the same time, because you get these words, like, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but you get like, like Spanish guys would always say this word triste, triste, mm -hmm. which means you translate it perfectly. It means like sad. Okay. But they're not really saying that they're sad they're more saying they're kind of like disappointed right at the result you know so i think the media it's also it's a two it's a two-way street i guess is exactly. what i'm trying to say because if we have totally. a better understanding of where they're coming from in their language where on to, to be quite honest our language is much more complicated i think that their language is because english just has a lot of crazy stuff going on but we can help them by just sort of making an effort to exactly. understand a lot of the baseline terms that they're using too you know exactly and i think the other thing that media, or I mean, frankly, any of us who are talking to people who we know are not like a really strong English speaker, we can adjust our own language. And it's not condescending to do that. It's, yeah. you know, I appreciate it if someone speaking Spanish to me slows way down, you know, right, and right. I think that's like, I, I went over um, an interview. We will sometimes went over interviews with the guys afterwards. We actually transcribed some of them yeah. um, and, and we would look at the questions that were asked and we would look at their responses and, and talk about stuff. And I remember there was one, I think it was with Elsinio and the guy, the, the, the media person asked the question he didn't understand. So he said, I'm sorry. The media person said it at the exact same pace, did not change one word, yeah. the exact same question. And Elsinio still didn't get it. I'm sorry. You know, two times this had to be repeated. And I, I, again, I said, Delcino, this is not your fault. They should slow down or they should change their words. Yeah. Because, right. Like it was spoken, rapid fire, kind of like, what do you yeah, think you, about the game? You have to like enunciate and, you know, sometimes gestures help too, or like anything, you, anything that you can use to help kind of articulate. Yeah. Those points. And avoid, yeah. avoid yeah. things like idiomatic expressions that we don't even think about that we're yeah. putting into our language all the time. Like, all the time we're using expressions and I, I, I could find some that we transcribed, you know, for the guys to try to help them learn these, these commonly used ones that interviewers will ask, but, you know, just, you can simplify your language by avoiding certain expressions and just slowing down. And that's not being condescending. That's helping them have a successful interview. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another, uh, a second observation I would make from a media standpoint is that, um, I think people should understand that there are varying. I don't know how to explain this. Let me think about it for a second. <laughs> there, there are there are various levels of uh, comfort mm -hmm. with the second language, and what I mean by that, I'll use um, Vince Noguera as an example here. Mm -hmm. Vince was a native French speaker. Mm -hmm. um, he was with the team for a couple of years in the locker room, or like you know, off to the record, just in casual conversation. I thought his English was actually very good probably better than most fans would realize. And I think what happens is that a lot of these guys will tell you 
hey, you know, it's a little bit different when I'm being quoted on the record or when you're putting a video camera in front of me or you're putting mm-hmm. a recorder in my face, you know, where because they feel a certain level of comfort in the language yeah. when you're just speaking casually, or you're just having a regular conversation versus like, hey, if I'm going to be quoted on this, then it's a different kind of a different ball game, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think there's another whole element, um, you know, this is another topic, but cultural adjustment along with language adjustment mm-hmm. is huge. I mean, if, you know, there's so many things that we don't even realize we're not conscious of in our own culture, in both the physical space of our culture, but also in the um, abstract things that happen. We're not conscious of them. But once we step outside of our culture and go to another place, you realize, oh my goodness, my brain is taking in all these new sights and sounds and experiences and it's overwhelming and it can take a while. And so I think when people see, oh, there's a new player signed from Brazil or whatever, they should make an immediate impact. And it's like, it's, it's not just language, you know, it's, you know, you can play without language, you can get on this field and play a pretty good game. Yeah. Usually, but culture can overwhelm you. And I think people don't realize how it's so exhausting. You know, your brain is receiving all these inputs all the time that are just overwhelming your senses for the first few weeks. And it can take a while um, before that sort of dies down and your brain doesn't have to react and respond to all this, these things that are firing in at you. So cultural adjustment is huge and it's exhausting. And it's not only getting used to the culture of your team, and these new people, but it's outside of that too. Getting settled is hard. Yeah. I mean, look, mm-hmm. you know, we have two kids. We moved out here to the suburbs. Like we speak the language. And it was like took us like a couple months just to get like kind of comfortable in like exactly. a new in a new place. And I'm, I can't even imagine if you're coming over from Hungary exactly. or Brazil or something like this and just trying to find your feet and feel and feel comfortable in a new place for sure. That's a um, really good way to think of it. And I think a yeah. lot of us who went into the pandemic, the adjustment of that, we can how we felt like doing our jobs. We felt like we weren't doing as well as we should maybe for the first couple months because everything was so weird and unsettling. And that's kind of like culture change. Yeah, no, it really is. It is. Um, I'm laughing. I know it's a, it's not a visual medium, but I keep laughing and smiling because Ilsenio and Fabi were two of the most like jovial (laughs) <laughs> like guys on the planet to begin with, let alone like tra- like the, the fun of them trying to learn something new, you know? Oh, the classes with the two of them, their rapport, their interaction. It's fantastic. I've, I've, I've never laughed harder in an English class than with those guys. Um, just, <laughs> and, and I'll say one thing about the creativity of El Senior. Well, both of them, but you know, he's so creative on the field, but mm-hmm. he's so creative with language. Um, yeah. he, he loves creative creativity and, you know, he'll, I remember when we taught him staycation, it just came up naturally. It was like a staycation. <laughs> he loved that because it was putting two words together, yeah. you know, vacation, stay at home. And, and so, you know, things like that, he just, he loved it. And he, he, you know, when I think of when he first came and what he can do now with his speaking, it's remarkable. Yeah. It's creativity on the field and off the field. Yeah. Um, that's, that's great to hear. I mean, these guys have, have great big personalities and you always feel like that. I think fans and media, you always feel more connected to a guy when you learn a little bit more about them off the field, you know, it's sort of that, those um, fun stories that you hear for sure. So Chrissy, thanks for coming on and sharing sure. all that. I appreciate it. No yeah. I, it's a fun topic. I, it's nothing that we've, it's something that we really haven't um, gotten deep into in this podcast. So I appreciate you coming on and, and, and sharing a few, um, uh, thoughts on that. And also thanks for, um, for helping out with Starfinder. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you. My pleasure.